Good evening, everybody. This is Evan Young with The Boxing Forecast, coming at you on a Thursday night, just touching base uh, with some boxing for the week and going over some of last week's action. Uh, we'll start with, uh, we'll go down to, don't, down under in New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand. We had Joseph Parker, who defeated Junior Farr by a 12-round decision, but... There's a lot more to it than that. It was probably one of the top 10 worst heavyweight fights I've ever seen. First of all, Parker couldn't get untracked at all. He kept getting himself held throughout the fight. Uh, Fa is a huge guy, about 6'6", 260, long arms, big arms. And every time Parker would unload, Fa would lift his left arm up, block his right hand, tie him up and curl him to the side. It probably happened 150 times during the fight. The only time Parker had any success was when he, he would get inside and he would bang the body a bit, but that would last maybe five or six seconds before Far would just clinch again. And Parker just had no answers for the clinching at all. And from a distance, Far, who is a large guy and really wasn't considered a, a boxer, per se, was, was doing the better work on the outside. Parker had no answer for him. Parker's supposed to be the boxer, the quicker man, but he really looked, he looked out of sorts. And I thought he was somewhat gifted with the, uh, the wide decision win he got over Far. I mean, I, a, a lot of people felt Far won. I could see an argument either way. I could see a draw, but... The people that, the ones that lost were the ones that watched the fight, especially uh, living in other parts of the world at an odd hour of the morning. I think I was up on Saturday morning at about five watching this, and it was brutal, absolutely brutal. I don't know what's going on with Parker these days, but he really doesn't look right. He looks a little different than he used to. He looked a lot more muscular in some of his previous fights. His body looks softer, even though he's the same weight. He looks like he's, uh, he's lost some muscle mass. He just looks like he's out of sorts. He really has no answers. Uh, I guess the, one, the Parker we saw against White uh, is who he is. I mean, his best win will probably end up being the Andrew Ruiz win. I don't really see him coming back and doing great things in this division at this point at all. So I don't know if that spider bite that curtailed him earlier was a problem, but he doesn't look good. As for Fa, hey, this doesn't hurt him. I mean, well, the holding is brutal. He's really got to stop doing that. But, I mean, that's really the only way he, he could, he could uh, compete in that fight was to do that, and he certainly had that strategy down. He just held his large, long arms up, and Parker couldn't get at him, and that was it. Uh, end of story. If uh, if you haven't seen it, I'd suggest not watching it. But if you uh, like to put yourself through some torture, you can find it. It was on DAZN, so you could find it there on tape, on a tape, or I'm sure you could find it somewhere on the internet as well. All right, on to the next fight that uh, we talked about last week. We had former champion Anthony Durrell 
versus Kyron Davis. Now, Davis was a junior middleweight slash middleweight moving up in weight. Uh, he had a few losses at the lower divisions. He was a solid fighter, but didn't look to be anything special to me. And Darrell, I felt, was the more talented guy. But Kyron Davis, uh, you know, for what he was, he showed up in this fight and gave a great effort. It ended, the fight ended up being a draw. And I, I felt Darrell did edge it out, but Darrell really uh, didn't do himself any favors in the fight. He really didn't look, look that good. He's been off since a KO loss to David Benavides in 2019. And at this point, you know, he really has seen better days. Uh, you know, he was, you know, at one point he really was a reflexive marvel with, uh, like his brother Andre, probably not as good as, uh, Andre Durrell, but, you know, he, he has naturally, he, he was born with natural talent and he was able to utilize that, but these days he's reduced to hanging on the ropes and counter, counter punching. He did appear to land, he did land a little more and land to the cleaner shots, and I believe the, uh, the commentators at Fox had Darrell up by three or four points at the end, even though it was a draw. But by Davis surpassing what most expected him, what most expected him to do, I think people, you know, were happy, you know, were pleased with that and thought that maybe he even deserved the win. I don't think he did, but it was a fairly nondescript uh, uh, fight. It wasn't a, a match of any great import, as I see it, but. Davis uh, lives to fight another day and gets a payday, uh, and that was uh, and that was that. And so we'll go to the uh, go to the Canelo card. We'll start with um, the Chinese fighter Zelay Zhang versus Jerry Forrest. Now Zhang is a is a silver medalist from China. A unique character. He's he's huge. He's about six six two sixty. Very large man. He has strength. He has power. And I believed he would have the stuff to roll through Forrest. And for three rounds, he he made that seem like reality. He dropped Forrest in the very first three rounds, each time in each round. And somehow, uh, for no particular reason that I can pick out, Zhang hit a wall. It was nothing that Forrest was doing, but he just completely ran out of gas after four rounds. And all he could do was use his strength and size to hold on and survive the remainder of the fight. But he was so far ahead after the three knockdowns in the first three rounds, he ended up hanging on for a draw. So it was a very mixed bag. It was sort of the tale of two halves. The first half of the first four rounds was all Zhang in the second half was all Forrest, who basically had a 260-pound punching bag in front of him that he was able to tee off on. And he certainly did that. And in the last round, he seemed to almost uh, cause the big, uh, the big fellow to timber, but he couldn't quite do it. If he had knocked him down, he, he would have won that fight. So, so that turned out to be a draw. Very strange weekend of fights. And now that leads us to the last uh, major match of last weekend was Canelo Alvarez, the king of boxing at this time against Avim Yildirim, who's a Turkish practitioner that is best known for a win over 
Lalinga Muck, a loss, a KO loss to Chris Eubank Jr., and a majority decision loss to Anthony Durrell. Now, generally, he's, he's a big, strong, tough guy. And in this fight, he didn't offer much resistance. Canelo just basically picked him apart slowly, didn't seem like he was in any hurry to get the job done, hit him with a great body shot every now and then, uh, dropped him in the second or third round hard, but he got up and Canelo seemed to just go back to the normal pace of just picking him apart. And then strangely, after three rounds, uh, Yildim was stopped on his stool. Now that seems strange. I mean, he's a guy that has always showed courage in the ring, the guy that would always want to continue under fire, took hundreds of shots against Durrell and kept coming forward. But in this fight, he just was stopped. It was very strange. Uh, There was an over-under, a betting line of four and a half rounds, and it appeared like that could have gone over the way the match was going, but he just sat it out. There was some say that his promoter suggested that he stay on the stool. Uh, But it really just leaves a you know, a sour taste in one's mouth. Uh, Just the idea that this guy could even be considered a mandatory. And then again, you have to look at the fact that he's a mandatory. Why was he a mandatory? He lost to Anthony Durrell in his last fight, and then he becomes a mandatory? It should be noted he uh, has a friendly relationship with Canelo and has been served as a sparring partner, has served as a sparring partner for Canelo. So there he was, in the ring with him as a mandatory. Gets a very nice payday to do this, $2.5 million for a guy that I would imagine probably hasn't received a payday of 10% of that in his career. So wonderful for him. I certainly don't begrudge him that he got that. I think that's great that he did. But was he worthy of it? And why did it happen, I have to ask. Obviously, uh You'd have to say Canelo is simpatico with the WBC, who made uh, Yildrum the mandatory, and there he was. An easy fight for Canelo on DAZN with a contender that, or contender, quotation fingers contender that he certainly had no, uh, would have no problems with as a 50 to 1 favorite. So, As I go on about this, I have to say, I mean, as I look at Canelo, he's going to fight Billy Joe Saunders uh, in May. And some people say, ooh, that's a good fight for him. That's good. Billy Joe will give him trouble. But, yeah, Billy Joe can box. He's left-handed. But he doesn't have near the physicality needed to give Canelo any effort. And he won't. He's not going to be any trouble for Canelo. He'll probably be less of a challenge than... uh, than the last Englishman that stepped in with Canelo, uh, Callum Smith. Sanders has struggled with many ragged fighters over the years. He's look, his one great win was, was against a damaged David Lemieux, who's a KO puncher out of Montreal, where Sanders pounded him for 12 runs. He really looked good, but he against the guy that was limited that night and even more limited by his injuries. So, I mean, I don't, you know, Sanders is is next, and that's fine. I mean, get him out of the way and win that fight. But as far as I see it, the super middleweights at this time are a really soft division, save a few guys. 
the guys you have in there that can get a fight with uh, Canelo or you got, have Caleb Plant, who's also a good boxer, good on his feet, tall, strong guy, but not really a big puncher at all. And you have David Benavides, who, who I feel is, you know, deserves, the, deserves the shot at Canelo more than anybody else in that division. But other than that, it's a very soft division. Yes, you have Edgar Belanga, who's a KO puncher that has won all of his fights by KO, but he's a couple of years, he's a little too soon, so you can't really include him yet. And you have Beck the Bully that fights at that weight and also light heavyweight, who's also a little, he's a little too soon. So those are two guys that you could see down the line. But basically, besides those two guys that are on the fringes going forward, you have Benavides and Caleb Plant as the only viable super middleweights that I see. It's, it's a soft division. You have a lot of recycled people, old veterans that are sitting there that, that Canelo's just going to feast on if he fights these guys. I mean, after uh, Sanders, if he has an easier fight than that after that and then doesn't take anybody on of note, prospectively, it's not a good look in my view. Basically, you're gonna, he's going to have to, besides Benavides and Plant, he's going to have to reach outside of his division or someone's going to have to reach into his division to fight him because, you know, as I see it, you only have maybe a couple of middleweights that could move up. You have Jamal Charlo, and I'd like to see him fight Charlo. Charlo's a solid, a solid puncher. He's never, he's never lost before. He's got a fire in him. He's a hard puncher. He's got a great chin. He's fast, and he's physical. He'll give Canelo a fight at 168, and he could certainly hold 168. I'd like to see Canelo fight a Charlo. Let's see him try somebody like that. Yeah, you can say he beat Danny Jacobs, but Danny Jacobs is, you know, he's Danny Jacobs. He's, he, he's never lived up to his potential completely. He's fought down to the competition, save for the Canelo say, for the GGG fight. And just after his fight with uh, Gabriel Rosado last time, he's not viable anymore. So you can forget about that. He needs to fight a young, hungry guy like Charlo. Or, or even Bubu Andre, who I know has squandered his career to a degree. But he's a guy who has the physical capability to step up there and give him a fight. If you think he's nothing, fight him. Let him fight Char- Let him fight Andre. And then further beyond that, you have some light heavyweights that I wouldn't mind seeing him fight if he, if he would like to challenge them. Now, obviously, he's not the tallest guy, and he, he has no obligation to go up to 175. But there are a few guys there that I think would be worthwhile to, uh, to meet if he was really wanted to put a stamp on his greatness since he's getting to that point in age where it's time. He's in his physical prime. He could do this. Why not... Uh, why not challenge Dimitri Bivol? Bivol said he'd come down to 168. How about that? What about Artur Bidabiev, the boogeyman at 175? That would be tremendous. I think the world would like to see that. I'd be happy seeing that. I mean, does Canelo want it? He certainly doesn't have an, you know, if he's 168, he's 168, and you can't really say he's ducking anybody above him because that's not his, you know, if he's not in that division, then he's not in that division. But it certainly would be good if he took a shot at those guys if, uh, if he got through some of the other people that I mentioned previously.
And then even beyond that, why not take on a Joe Smith? Yeah, Joe Smith's crude, but he's a big, solid, light heavyweight who can punch with a chin. Fight a big physical guy. I mean, he's really, you know, besides Golovkin twice, which really just stamped him into the stratosphere with people. I mean, you know, he's going to start fighting some people. If he doesn't fight any of these names in the next year, you know, it's really, it's really just a waste of time. It's really, it's, you'd have to consider all his matches exhibitions if he doesn't take on any of the names I mentioned at all. I mean, he's, he's going to get to a point where that happens because, uh, you know, what's the point of watching him fight middling guys? What's, you know, there's no, it, there's no enjoyment in that, watching him just handle guys that have no chance. You know, that's what fans want to see is, uh, is fighters challenge themselves. You know, look at guys like, you know, veteran old champions like Ali, Hagler. They all wanted the best. I know I, I became friendly with Marvin's trainer over the years, and, and Marvin was, you know, Goody would always repeat this mantra that Marvin would always say, never who am I fighting, but when am I fighting. Didn't matter who he was fighting. Get him the best opponent. Get them in the ring. That was it. End of story. Work out the contract, get the best guy in the ring, and I'm there. That's it. Obviously, Ali did that, fighting four times a year against dangerous guys throughout his whole career. I mean, obviously, he put himself in peril for many, many years. And, you know, but that's just who he was. He wanted to fight the best, be the best, prove he was the best. But obviously, that mentality is not there these days. It really isn't. It's become a business. And yes, I can appreciate that, you know, people don't want to get, get themselves hurt and they want to save themselves, but there has to be a fine line where you do have to cross it sometimes, take some chances, fight some guys that could possibly hand you a loss. That's what makes it interesting. Look at the UFC, for instance. Those guys, you know, they're match tough all the time, get a lot of losses. Doesn't mean they can't become champ again or become champ. They lose, they win. They take risks. That's what you should do. Anyway, enough of that for now. Um, I'll go on to this week's uh, events, which are really not much. Uh, there's a fight card tonight in about an hour or so that I'll be looking in on. I didn't uh, do this uh, podcast early enough to get into any plays on it. But as I see it, I believe the favorites will probably all prevail. In the main event, we have Sergei Bohachuk against Brandon Adams. Adams is the five foot nine uh, middleweight out of California. It's had some decent fights lately. Bohachuk is 18-0 with 18 knockouts. Although I, I viewed some of his tape, I don't see him as a one-punch knock, knockout artist by any means. And I don't see him as quite the killer, as some have said. But that said, I do think he will get by Adams in a good fight. I think it'll be a good fight. I, I think Boachuk will, will win a decision or perhaps a late-round stoppage. I do think he's a little better. Uh, I looked at Adams' last KO against Sonny Dervinson, and, you know, Sonny just became a punching bag late on the ropes just kind of wilted under the pressure. 
Now, another match on this is an eight-round fight uh, with returning Carlos Sombrano, who was a uh, decent fighter back in the day, held an interim title, I believe, back in 2015. Uh, got stopped in one round by Claudio Marrero in 2017 and hasn't fought since then. Now, he's fighting Brian Chevalier, a Puerto Rican fighter. This card is in Puerto Rico, by the way. Um who's 14-1 and one and was stopped by a nondescript fighter several years ago. But he's the younger guy, he's the local guy, and we really don't know what Zombrano uh, brings to this at this point, being off all this time, and he is up there in age, I do believe. And the next fight, we have another uh, Puerto Rican fighter, Danilito Zorillo against Ruslan Medeev. Medeo's 13-1 with five stoppages. Uh, strong, compact guy. Last one was against Ricky Sesmundo, a, a Filipino uh, fighter. That was uh, 2019. And before that, he had it, lost a technical decision to rugged Pablo Cesar Cano. So I see the favorite prevailing here as well. Uh, so but it should be a fun card. Should be a very interesting card to watch, so I'll be looking in on that. It's on NBC uh, Sports Network tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Now, as for uh, this weekend, uh, we have Clarissa Shields, a female fighter, headlining a pay-per-view card. Apparently, uh, she wasn't renewed at Showtime, and she's going in on her own. Uh, she talked about getting into MMA. I don't know if that's still happening. Uh, but she's in a in a fight this weekend, and it's a mostly female card. Uh, I hate to say this. I don't have much interest in the card. I've never really been a fan of uh, Clarissa or or female boxing, for that matter. I, I think it's it's basically because there seems to be a dearth of talent in women's boxing. There just isn't really that many good fighters to sustain it to sustain it to any level. Uh, conversely, I do kind of enjoy some of the women's bouts in MMA. Those are all right. Those are decent, I have to say. And I've never been an MMA person, but, hey, you have to give some credit where it's due. Some of those matches are, are well-made and they're good. But Calursa, um pounding out another, another white woman for 10 rounds uh, <laughs> doesn't interest me that much. At all. It's what I expect. Unanimous decision. Ten rounds. Uh, she'll win probably eight of them. And no one will care. But we'll see. And then uh, amateur standout heavyweight uh, Frenchman Tony Yoka returns as a 25 to 1 favorite, if not more, against uh, a name I can't uh, think of right now. But I like Tony Yoka. I did not like his last performance. It brought him down a bit, in my view. I was, I was looking forward to his rise, but his last fight, he didn't shine in that match that he had. Uh, so we'll see where he goes from here. He certainly stepped on his competition for his next fight. Uh, also of note, uh, this week, March 8th, 50th anniversary of the fight of the century, Ali and Frazier won March 8th, 1971. Wow, what a fight that was. If anybody's seen footage of that, all the stars were there. 
the outfits, the Madison Square Garden, unbelievable scene. Anybody was anybody was there. I can remember being uh, home as a seven-year-old. The mailman popped the mail in, and I saw the cover of Time magazine with the uh, images of Ali and Frazier on it. And as a kid, you know, obviously you're out, you're out in the world, you know enough, you know, with your friends in the neighborhood, and we all knew that these were the kings of the world at the time, Ali and Frazier. They were like gods. They walked on water. Amazing. Just remembering that, that Time magazine, Ali Frazier, just looking at that in awe. These guys are going to fight. Incredible. I mean, we even talked about this back then. Kids, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids, we used to talk about this stuff, the boxing. You don't see that anymore. There's so many other things going on, but everybody knew who they were. Everybody knew that was happening. It was a big, big event. And I was only seven when that happened. So imagine when you're older what that felt like coming up. I mean, that was out there in the world with no social media, no internet, just the three networks. And if you couldn't get there live, you'd have to go to some arena to see it on a closed circuit TV. And many did. I wasn't quite old enough to get there. But that was amazing. I'm sure that'll be talked about this week, that fight. And as for next week, it looks like we got a little better uh, week of action coming up next week. We have the rematch. Roman Gonzalez, Chocolatito against Juan Estrada. Awesome fight. Jeez, I remember when they fought at 108 pounds, 2012. I was looking at that fight, and uh, Estrada came in as a huge underdog, but I looked at him and I thought, you know what? I'm going to throw a little something on him. And he didn't win, but he gave a great effort. And I said, you know what? I'm going to watch this guy. This guy's going to be something else. He's really young, and he, he showed a lot in that, in that fight when Gonzalez was in his prime. He gave him a pretty damn good fight. I think the scores were basically 8-4, to 116-112-ish type scores, and he, he really gave an effort. And, you know, Chocolatito was a man fighting a boy in that fight, but this should be interesting. As Chocolatito is uh, somewhat on a renaissance after getting drubbed by that uh, brutal... Uh, Thai fighter, uh, I don't know what he's had different names. Wingashik, I don't know. I know who he is, of course. I just don't remember his name. He's obviously a great fighter, and I like him a lot. But he had two fights with uh, Chocolatito, and the last one he dropped him hard for a fourth round KO. Everybody thought Chocolatito was done, but he's run off some wins and looked impressive in doing so. And Estrada has looked great as well, but he's had some struggles. Uh, Carlos Quadra seems to give him hell. He had a pretty rough fight with him his last time out. So here they are again. Uh, Chocolatito in the twilight and Estrada in his prime. Uh, great fight. That's a great fight. And we have David Benavidez returning against uh, Ronald Ellis. Ronald Ellis actually resides in my area. I don't know him, but apparently he lives north of Boston in the Lynn area. And he's a nice boxer, so... He's got a big challenge ahead of him with Benavides, but we'll see what happens. And then I, I think midweek on Showtime, we have uh, Brandon Lee, the killer puncher at 140. Now, he's, he's a fun guy to watch, and apparently he has a 
bit of a step-up opponent, so that's going to be worthwhile as well, and I'm sure there'll be some undercard fights we will cover, which will be uh, excellent as well. So we'll have some uh, picks next week. I'll do another one, and we'll go over some of the some of my thoughts on next week's fight, next week's fights, and uh, uh, enjoy the fights tonight. Uh, you all have a great night, great weekend, and uh, I will play you out to a little Otis Redding. Try a little tenderness. Yeah.